This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning, good morning. Coach Hall here, really. Professor Ward Scott in the manly Warthog Man Cave in the piney woods of North Central Florida. God's country. In the Mellon Law Studio, Mellon Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Fighting Gator. And we're protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention and sponsored by Allstate Insurance through the Ocasio Full Service Insurance Company, r Construction, uh, style cuts on the spot cleaners. Uh, and you listen to us as we go through the whole list of great sponsors at the bottom of the hour. Today is, well, it's, 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 a, it's a sad day. As you see from the advertisements for today's show, if you see them on Facebook, I'm going to have a tribute today to my good friend, Bill Carr. We had Bill Carr on the show live I'm so glad we did. I believe the date was December 18th. Bill was one of the brightest people I know. And that's saying a lot because I know a lot of smart people. He was articulate, involved, Morally superior to most of us. Tough dude. Played the game. Administrated the game. Really all around. I was very honored to have his, not only his friendship, but his respect. He certainly had mine. And there came a time when I felt you needed to hear his voice. And it was over this name, image, and likeness, which he came to call, now it's legal. And what's legal? Well, all the stuff that was illegal, for example, when Bill was a, an athletic director. He paid attention to this discussion. He was involved in this discussion. He was upset with the direction that college athletics was going. And Bill passed away two nights ago from heart problems, which he had an issue with, which he was dealing with 
which she was trying to manage. But you never know when something like that is going to jump out on you. And it jumped out on Bill. And he didn't come back this time. He had a couple of struggles with it before. Some of you know me, I have too. We had a kinship in that respect. We conferred with each other, talked about this life, uh, the afterlife, our friends, what that meant to us, our work. We had these kind of conversations, not frequently, but from time to time. Because we were very much in the same situation many, many ways. So I drew great comfort and wisdom from his friendship. And it wasn't unexpected when I got the news, which I got very early the next morning. It happened about a little, as I understand it, uh, a little before midnight. And um, early the next morning, I was informed. It wasn't unexpected, but it was surprising. And what was surprising is... <clears throat> The old adage, you just never know. And so I got to thinking, what was the best thing I could do for my students, for my listeners, for my uh, people who like the show? What was the best thing I could do for them? Was perhaps to uh, share with you all uh, Bill's show uh, one more time. So, as you listen to Bill this time, remember that he's no longer with us. But his thoughts are available to us because every one of these shows that I do is archived and is kept. They never go away. So we keep them at wardscottfiles.com. And I know if you Google us, uh, you'll see us. We're kept out there all over the place. And uh, it's um, something available to you. But today I thought I would sit back with you. Production is going to run the show. And we'll run it for a while this morning probably up until the bottom of the hour break. And I want to listen to my own friend because when I'm running the show and talking to him, I don't get to hear him the same way I would if I were out there like you in the classroom studying the conversation. So I uh, hope that you get a little something out of this. This issue is never going away in the immediate future. In fact, it'll probably get worse, this name, image, likeness. 
Um, it's costing the schools a lot, but the kids are doing well with it, apparently. But it opens up a whole lot of issues. And so I want to watch some of it with you, but this case will probably kick it off in a couple of minutes. That's about 20 minutes of it. And uh, then we'll break at the bottom of the hour for the weather. And I'll come back and discuss with you what I see in this show. And then maybe Link can go on and talk a little bit more. But let me be sure you understand the situation here. Bill Carr died um, a couple nights ago. And um, wasn't that he didn't know he was in trouble, but he, you, you never know when. Uh, he had a bad heart, and, um, and the heart is a strange thing. It just can go on for quite a while in a bad shape, or it can go and be in good shape. It's very perplexing. So Bill was 78 years old. Those are treacherous years for us men. I'm 81. And so um, we wish you the best every day because we don't know about those days and how many are left. So let's add production. Run a little bit of this show up until the bottom of the hour. I'll be watching the chat line. Um, I'll be listening to the show. I won't be going anywhere. I'll be right here in my uh, Warthog Man Cave uh, listening to a conversation with my good friend about what's going on in college athletics. Take it away, please, production. I'll close to our chest for a while and talk about it perhaps during this hour, our great guest. We're also protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. John Pastore and Randy Elrad, and sponsored by all the great sponsors you see coming across your screen, which we highlight and feature at the bottom of the hour, along with Ward's weather. i got to tell you that um, um, my friend today that I have is really my friend. I've known our guests for a long, long time, longer than probably either he or I would want to admit, because we're in our silver, literally in our silver years now. Uh, but uh, Bill Carr... Played for the Gators in 1966, was an All-American center, and um, then went on to be to the Army. Uh, that was a difficult thing to avoid then because the Vietnam War was on. Came back from the Army and uh, began coaching a little bit. Uh, and after the coaching, became an administrator. And at the age of 32, I think, became the youngest athletic director ever at the University of Florida. And... From those days, traveled out to the sports consulting business, which I think now he's sort of semi-retired from. But Bill is the most knowledgeable person I know to bring you on the Ward Scott Files about anything you want to cover, primarily about college athletics. That is his niche, and he knows it top to bottom, inside out. And anything you want to ask today, put in the chat line. We've got a great former Gator teammate of his watching, Harmon Wages, whom I've interviewed on the show, great guy. And anything that you all want to talk about or highlight, let me see it in the chat line and we'll pass it along to Bill. Uh, Bill is comfortably uh, relaxing in his home in Gainesville, uh, but uh, he's got a lot to say, and I'll egg him on if he drives up on me. I don't think he will. 
But Bill, welcome to the Ward Scott file, sir. Yes, sir. Good to see you. Good to see you this morning, Ward. Well, you know how long I've been chasing you, and uh, uh, and you came willingly because you are very much interested. And I was thinking about this, Bill. 66 to 23 is about 60 years. And for the large bulk of that 60-year period, college athletics, particularly let's focus on football for a while, did not change much. You know, guys were still, quote-unquote, honest to God, student-athletes, to the extent that you could pull it off. And um, also, you got scholarships. You didn't get paid. You wore a number from which you didn't make money. And you graduated, and you stayed in the pipeline and supported the university. And it was all about the university and loyalty to the university. Correct me if I've got something wrong. No, that's it. But now, and I want you to kind of take us through this, because it makes me dizzy trying to think about it. We have got something called the collective. We've got something called name, image, and likeness. We've got ridiculous salaries. You and I were talking before we came on the air about the buyout of the Texas A&M flop, if you will. And my golly, take it away. I am lost, my man. Well, it's, it is a, um, it's an astounding circumstance. Uh, what is happening in intercollegiate athletics right now? It's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm incredulous. I, I am blown away by the degree of transformation that has occurred uh, in the last uh, five years, but it has been expedited so much about uh, uh, about the time that that the um, that the pandemic began. Uh, it 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 was accelerated by that. Uh, in many ways because of the the ban on attendance at events and all the things that went into it. But um, the bottom line is that uh, the, the distinction between amateur athletics and professional endeavor, professional athletics, um, is, uh, is being erased. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is that endeavors – are going to change. There's going to be some change that's going to occur over time because of technology or uh, pr- human preference and all those kind of things. But uh, my position is that we need to be very, uh, very well informed by what changes we embrace. And the technological changes are the ones that uh, are most uh, are most logical or most practical to endorse and to absorb within our systems. And so uh, the whole thing about uh, the difference between amateur and professional sports, you know, is is something that uh, uh, there's a, there's an enor- enormous history about it. And when you look back at uh, at Olympic era, you know, uh, the, the essence of amateur athletics is is the benefit to the experience of the participant. And the accident of that endeavor of amateur athletics is the uh, is the fact that people enjoy being spectators. They enjoy watching the and and uh, observing and following those competitions. And uh, 
surprise, surprise, it generates revenues. Well, what has happened in college athletics is that the revenue generation portion, the spectator accident dimension, uh, has become so successful that it has overwhelmed the essence period of uh, endeavor uh, with the outcome of the positive impact and the transformative educational and experiential leadership preparation for life that is the 18 to 22-year-old period of life. Uh, it's a it's a human reality. I don't care if you're in college or where you are, if you're in the military or if you went straight to the workforce. The 18 to 22-year-old period is, is when things change for you and you're making your direction uh, in many areas of your life, and it determines what you're going to be doing for the most part from there on out. Although that in itself is has uh, changed because now people are um, are transforming into different types of of professional endeavor. You know that is, that is more so today than it was uh, thirty thirty years ago. But the bottom line is that intercollegiate athletics um, has absorbed now what is called the the uh, name, image, and likeness endeavor which is a uh, in many ways is a, is a function ward of the of the reality of the digital impact of of all the social media type activity and the ind- individual that can get a profile and make some income off of that i you know we we saw the endorsement of of the NIL of by the uh, olympic endeavor in the year 2000 that's the year when when it was first permissible for a for a um olympic athlete in the for the united states of america teams to gain that revenue through the nil was in the year 2000 and unfortunately we in college athletics did not absorb it in some way during that period of time because it would make it much more practical to try to sustain some of the amateur dimensions that we now are see be uh, threatened being threatened by the National Labor Relations Board, which is claiming that all student athletes must be employees, and uh, that is uh, that is the line that we need to draw in the sand, in my opinion, and not just in the sand, but in the legislation through Congress and any other uh, legal entity that can properly structure intercollegiate athletics looking ahead. So I'll pause now and and uh, and ask for your comment or question from anything I, that I've said as an introduction here, but we are definitely in that transformative period for intercollegiate athletics, and my desire is to be an informed voice trying to help from a historical perspective the people that are making decisions now to help them understand better some of those foundational uh, forms of of endeavor that uh, that structured intercollegiate athletics and made it the very special treasure that it is, because it's what I want my grandchildren. I have eight grandchildren, and I each of them has some kind of skill that could potentially put them in the student athlete role in the future. And I would love them to have a similar experience to what I had. And and our friend Harmon, who's on the line, I understand. Great to have Harmon with us. 
Well, you know, you mentioned something I hadn't even thought about. You know, I always think of everything, of course, Bill. Of course. I had forgotten about the Olympics. They went commercial. I'm going to use that word. Yes. Long before college athletes did. Exactly. In the year 2000, the first, that was the first Olympics, uh, when, uh, when, uh, the, the NIL names, image and likeness endeavor, uh, was, uh, authorized for U.S. Olympic athletes. And, uh, we in college athletics, that's right about the time following the, uh, the Supreme Court decision in 1984 and all the, litigation that followed that that's right about the time the big money started coming to college athletics and that is when i and my peers as athletic directors and i was a former athletic director at that time i'd already gone into my consulting and executive search business helping people hire helping schools hire athletic directors and head coaches and conference commissioners doing that type of work uh but we failed to transform our industry so that we fulfilled our fiduciary role to to student athletes better. We should have done some things creatively, not to make them employees, but what if what if we had uh but to use the money more wisely than what we do now, like uh paying coaches absurd contracts of a hundred million dollars over a 10-year period. And that's why Texas A&M that just fired Jimbo Fisher will owe him technically, unless they mitigate it in some type of negotiation, they'll owe him 76, $77 million in sanity. And we should have made some changes. What, for example, Ward, if we had said then, we're going to give you some health insurance benefits for the rest of your life, especially uh, tax free. Uh, those of you who have played, uh, the revenue sports in particular, and maybe we could branch it out further depending on what the overhead was. But we wouldn't have gotten into the insane level of contracts that we now have with coaches. Uh, it's, there's just no way to justify that in a, in a uh, tax exempt enterprise. A 501c3 non-taxable enterprise conducted on a college campus that is paying people 10 million plus million dollars a year. Uh, uh-uh. that, that is insanity. That is just in, inconsistent with the thesis of it being a, a nonprofit endeavor, higher education. Well, got questions coming in. Um, with all the money being tossed around, how will cheating be stopped? The answer is it won't. Because the, the, there's always someone who is ready and willing to push the limit, uh, from any type of, uh, ethics in order to be, uh, surreptitiously, uh, crowned as champion. You've always got that element. You're always dealing with that. You have to be prepared to deal with it. It's just like right now, the thing I'm most concerned about from an ethical standpoint in college athletics is the influx of uh, legalized sports wagering for college athletics. It is absolutely uh, a threat beyond measure of any other, other uh, endeavor. And I, I hope and pray that it, uh, that sports uh, betting on college athletics can be outlawed some way, somehow, where you can, you can bet 
on uh, on the pro sports, but you can't bet on college sports because there's different things like what's called proposition betting, where the endeavor of one particular single student athlete uh, can be the parameter of betting, and it's very much more difficult to find than uh, than the team outcomes and those kind of bets. But that's a whole other subject is the sports gambling, which is an in, looms over our heads right now. Well, I remember about the time you first came to the University of Florida, there had been a gambling um, scandal at the university with Woodruff. Yes, that's right. In the in yeah. the previous uh, in the previous iteration with Bob Woodruff as the head coach, they had had a gambling thing at Florida, and um, it was a uh, it was a it was a a big problem. And uh, a guy who came from my hometown there of uh, Pensacola, John Macbeth, had been the paragon of virtue and had had uh, turned it turned it right. And uh, you know, so that name is has a special place in the history of the University of Florida uh, for the right reasons. Yeah, I remember that when I first came here. I thought, wow. And um, and that was when Coach Graves was first coming in, I believe. Yes, it was. comes to mind, you know, a Charlie Pell thing couldn't have happened today, could it? Well, the the joke that's made about NIL, names, image, and likeness, is that what it stands for now is now it's legal. Now it's legal. Ah, ah, I got that's, you. That's the joke. And and literally, in, in many ways, it's true. But any type of inducement, illegal inducement, is, is a, a problem. The reason I can live with in my scheme of 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 ethics and uh in in how i look at college athletics and amateur sports is names image and likeness if it is conducted properly and that's always an assumption that is presumptive if you will because you like i said there's always someone who's looking to cut corners and uh and cheat on everything i don't care if it's a test in the classroom or if it's uh at the at the drugstore making a purchase there's always that element, and you have to be prepared to contend with it. But it's the the aspect of uh, of having a uh, uh, a test go the right direction is just something you have to uh, you have to endorse and enforce on a daily basis. Well, if I remember, Coach Pell gave up some sort of help to a man who needed some child payment. Uh, that was it. But that leads me to another question. How about these guys turning each other in for things, the least thing they can get to get into that? We got the case of Michigan, for example. Right. Talk about that with Harborough. I mean, talk about the NCAA. That thing- well, the NCAA is a huge, huge disappointment. Uh, I uh, I look at at, at my – uh, at my career now, and I, I, I can't, I can't believe I resigned from the University of Florida. Uh, that was that was just insanity on my part. The worst decision I ever made in my life was resigning as athletic director after eight years, and um, that's a whole other story. We don't need to get into that. But uh, I wish I hadn't done that. But then the other decision that I regret is that uh, when I left the University of Houston, uh, I I 
left the campus setting and I opened a small executive search and management consulting firm that I ran for 25 years, I enjoyed doing that, but I wish that I had stayed on the campus, uh, in the, within the campus setting, uh, whether I was working for an institution as an AD or, uh, as, as a, uh, uh, or at a conference as an associate commissioner or a commissioner. Uh, I wish I had stayed in the game and had advocated for adjustments in the, in the uh, foundational structure of intercollegiate athletics instead of going into private enterprise. I wish I had done that. I, I would, I would like to have been, um, uh, an informed voice, uh, advocating for adjustments that would enable us to have a better position because we, we were, we were in an unjustifiable, uh, spot when, when, uh, when we started paying our coaches multi-million dollar contracts every year and, and the, the total now, uh, is somewhere three quarters of a billion dollars has been will, if this, if this additional 70 million goes to, uh, goes to our man Jimbo Fisher. Uh, that will make it the total that's been paid for coaches to not coach their teams will be, uh, somewhere between 700 to 800 million dollars. Uh, almost a billion dollars will have gone to coaches not to coach. And we could have used that money to give so many more benefits to higher education and to student athletes. It just breaks my heart to think that that is what happened because my experience with coaches is that the the ones who are the best in the business don't have to be paid those levels of 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 a compensation in order to be attracted to the game. And uh, I just think that it is, uh, you know, if somebody is demands that kind of money, they can go coach in the NFL, and if they're not good enough to coach there, then they have to either take what they can get at the college level or go do something else. And coaches are usually pretty practical and have some, uh, have some, uh, interaction, human skills that would enable them to work in a lot of different roles in our society. So it's a, uh, it's a, it's a huge challenge to try to make those adjustments. Uh, but I, I wish, I wish I had been in, uh, in that, in that, in that role for the last 20 plus years instead of uh, being in private enterprise serving intercollegiate athletics uh, commercially that was uh I rue that but that's that's life you make you make some decisions and you live with them along that line um uh, I've got here a Wall Street Journal article um the super fan at the center of a scandal a name of Connor Stallions Yes. Tell tell us about that. What you know about that, Bill? Well, what I the thing that really bothers me the most is that uh, that the guy I don't know him. I, I don't know him at all. I had never heard of him until this event occurred. But the thing that I that I particularly regret is that he was a former captain in the Marine Corps, and I hate to see him spoil uh, the image and the reputation of his former professional endeavor for a captain of the Marine Corps to be doing those things. However, I I don't think that that rule, I think the rule should be changed to allow, to allow 
uh, uh, institutions and football coaches to go scout other teams. My goodness, the digital age today, we have so much information and we have so much capability technologically to absorb that information. And uh, the only rationale for not allowing that, the only reason that that endeavor, that scouting in person on somebody else's campus is outlawed is because they were trying to limit how much somebody could invest into scouting. My word, the, the, the rule should have been to limit how much you can pay a coach. And, and we had rules that limited how many coaches, but today it's insane what is happening in, uh, in the, in the, uh, in that regard today. The thing that I most regret about what's going on at the University of Florida, I have enormous respect, uh, uh, for the head coach there, uh, and and I I just but I I was very disappointed with the fact that he hired sixty people to work for him. That's insanity. There's just there's no justification for that. That can't you know. And we started spending another five million dollars a year running that type of enterprise. Where you know, and then you can't go off campus and scout, but you can spend five million dollars uh, hiring your own people <laughs> that that can't. Go off campus and scout. See, I mean, it's, it's paradoxical. It's, it's totally inconsistent with the way the rule is, but it, that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, you know, exculpate uh, the Miss Michigan's Michigan for having broken the rule because a rule is a rule. And what you, if you, if it doesn't make sense, get the rule changed. And, uh, that's, that's, that's my judgment on that case, but it is, it is an unfortunate reality that that he was caught and that Jim Harbaugh is being punished along with Michigan, but that rule should be changed. Uh, and, uh, but Michigan should be pun- punished to some degree because they broke the rule, but get the darn, get the darn rule changed immediately. That, that should, that rule should not be in effect uh, starting the, uh, with the next convention when rules can be changed. Well, is there a hidden motive behind that too? Because we have the exclusive, if you will, marquee teams. And then we have the other teams. For example, here's another Wall Street Journal article I wanted to bring up. James Madison, 9-0. and oh. Nobody's given him any respect. Yeah. What's the story on that, Bill? Well, the, the reason they, they are in that category is because they've transitioned They've transitioned from uh, FCS, Football Championship Subdivision, the second level, the secondary level of college football competition. They are in that transitional period, uh, and uh, they are uh, they are not allowed to go to postseason competition. That's part of the umbrage that you must pay in order to make the advancement from F- FCS to the highest level, FBS. And so it's simply a matter of paying your dues and they don't, aren't a privilege to ha- enjoy all the benefits that come to uh, FBS level schools. That is the reason for that. Now that is a, uh, you know, uh, is a, is a dated limitation. But again, if you don't like the rule, change the rule. But in the meantime, they have to be, they have to be, uh, in compliance with the rules. I've had the privilege uh as a consultant to work extensively with James Madison and uh 
their athletic director, uh, Jeff Bourne, is a guy that I highly respect. And uh, uh, I really enjoyed working with them uh, in some in some strategic planning and looking for the look looking for the future and hiring coaches. And they they are they are an exemplary school. So I hate to see this in their circumstance, but it's just a part of the transition that every school that's been in that category has had to uh, endure. How long will that transition take? Uh, it takes well. The, the rules change, and I'm not sure of the latest uh, specific rule, but I believe it's a two year period. Uh, and uh, the, but it is uh, it's 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 ironic that they had that level of development, but they were trying to get into uh, certain conferences. Uh, they wanted to move into Conference USA several years ago, and they couldn't get an appointment there. Uh, and so they wound up moving into the Sun Belt, which is now, uh, a stronger league than Conference USA, ironically. So it has inured to their benefit, uh, you know, that, that they had that delay because they're, they are now on top of the Sun Belt Conference as a win-loss record, but they're with an asterisk beside their name, not eligible for postseason play in the 23 season. I'm not sure if this is their last year in that limited uh, eligibility or not. I just, that's a, that's a detail I haven't followed, but I just know that, uh, that they are eminently qualified, obviously to have gone uh, undefeated this season is extraordinary. Question here is, should there be a cap on NIL? Well, I, I don't know that there should be a cap on it, so much as there should be more uh more institutional participation to me the greatest weakness of NIL right now because it's it's not it it must it has to be structured as a reflection as a measurement the the amount of dollars that can go to the student athlete ostensibly hypothetically should be a function of their impact on the on the social media and the marketplace, not upon the competition on the field. You see, and that's where the it gets hazy. The line becomes difficult to discern. How much is a student being paid? Is that athlete being paid because they scored four touchdowns in the last two games uh, versus how much they've helped the their sponsor, the local car dealership, how many how many sales transpired because the endorsement came from this student athlete? How much business did the company gain? You see that ostensibly that's what NIL is. It's not a function of how much you, how much you contributed to the team's success, but rather to the marketplace success of your sponsor. So it's, it's not the same as being an employee. An employee being paid to be the offensive guard or the, or the quarterback. That's a whole different paradigm. That's a whole different circumstance with, with the, the dynamic between the coach and the player. And that's why I don't want to see student athletes become employees is because it, it takes away from what is called the crucible experience. It's a, the word crucible. We all know what that means. Of course, that's at the steel factory 
That is what they do. They take raw materials and they put them into a, a fire with enormous pressure and chemicals and the amount of time that's necessary to melt it down and create something new. Well, that is the metaphor of what a student athlete does as a, as, uh, in their, in their four to five years, uh, of competition. And, uh, the crucible is an enormously instructive metaphor that w- we should try to sustain any way we can. Because regardless, again, I go back to my earlier point. I don't care what you're doing when from the period you're 18 years of age to 22, 23, somewhere along in that four to five year period. That is a time of formation for your future. That's when a lot of things happen. A lot of students go into the military. A lot of students go into college. A lot of students go into first-time jobs where they uh, find what they want to do the rest of their life, or at least they get started on that road in the process, and people, they make decisions about their life partners with their, with their new spouse and, and, uh, start their childbearing years. And, and it's a, so it is a time of enormous change and it is tr- truly a crucible for those who are undergoing it. And, uh, you f- reflect on your own life and you can see that it's just a human reality that we need to protect. I think I, I just see it as being an enormously, uh, beneficial, uh, item that is worth protecting. And uh, I, I wish that we could, uh, I, I hope that we can maintain it. However, let me make sure, let me make sure I get this piece of my, of my bias on the table for the, our listeners. And I hope we have still have some word no, we that, uh, that my projection of what is going to be the outcome here, I think it's going to take the rest of this decade, the rest of the twenties, the, the the 2020s all the way up to 2030, I think it's going to take each of those years to be settled into the final form of intercollegiate athletics because the amount of litigation and legislation, politics, et cetera, that's going to occur, market conditions for higher education, enormous change in that in that paradigm right now and even more coming. But I think that 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 the college football playoff constituency college football playoff which is the the old uh the old uh bowl championship subdivision group which now is comprised of about 66 schools the power 5 conferences plus Notre Dame okay about 66 schools i think that that group is going to shrink to somewhere between 40 and 50 I think that what they're going to do is they're going to define the threshold. You must have a budget of X hundred million dollars. A hundred fifty million is going to be, I think, a reasonable level that they're going to require that if you must have a way of guaranteeing that you're going to invest every year, your budget is going to be at least that level and it will be incrementally reviewed and increased in order to compete in that game. And they are going to become the NFL minor leagues. They're going to, they're going to compete for the national championships 
Yeah, uh, and the SEC, the four remaining conferences from the Power Five, as you will recall, as informed listeners here will recall, the Pac, the Pac-12 is no longer the Pac-12, or at least it won't be starting next fall when it will be the Pac-2, because there are only two schools that didn't leave the Pac-12. Amazingly, Washington State and Oregon State are the only two, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do, and that's a little bit of internal battle. But the point is, it's going to be somewhere between 40 and 50 schools, and they're going to be the minor leagues. How that affects basketball is something I haven't figured out. But my opinion is they're going to stay, and those those student-athletes may well become employees. I hope they don't, but I think it's a possibility. I think it could occur. And I think that the other schools that don't make that 150 or so million threshold will return to the, they'll keep NIL. That'll be a part of their paradigm, but they will, they will, uh, retain amateur status, uh, in every other regard and they will compete and travel and, and, and function in that way. They will be the amateur athletics. The Division Two and Three programs, there's a, there's no way that they would make that move, and and of course Division One FCS, uh, which is what James Madison used to be, but now is making the move up to FBS. They will be in the uh, collegiate paradigm as well. Though that's my prediction of what is going to happen. Uh, but you notice I had some enormous gaps in there about how how things are going to be done. But no matter what. No matter what configuration occurs, there are two realities. There are two realities that we must factor in in how we structure uh, the future of college athletics, and that is we must remember uh, the, the, the uniqueness of the 18 to 22-year-old period and uh, in life, and we must respect that. And, and, and accommodate that in a way because otherwise we will, we will d- damage the, uh, the leadership quality of people within our nation. We need student athletes, uh, who have been trained and have been proven in the, in that crucible experience to, uh, be in leadership roles in our society because they, they are most accustomed to, uh, competition. I'm not saying that they are the heroes of our country. I'm simply saying they are a vital force in the future. And the other, the other thing is we must remember that the time and distance that the, that the playoff of the college football, the college football playoff, the travel portion of that for teams when Rutgers and Southern Cal are in the same conference, the Big Ten. Coast to coast. If you're, if you are Southern Cal, you're, uh, you're, and if your volleyball team has to travel to Rutgers to play in a competition, or if they have to go to Dallas, they're talking about taking Dallas and making it the place of interaction and a lot of competition occurring there because of geography. It's, it's, it still is transformative in the dynamic. Home, home events are critical for student athletes because an hour is an hour of travel and having to fly across the country for every competition or for every road game competition 
is uh, is prohibitive and and destructive to the quality of life for the student athlete. So we must remember those things. And I'll pause so so my uh, so our listeners can can make their comments or questions, please. Okay, we're going to break for the weather. Uh, Lord's weather. We'll be right back in a moment. Questions in the chat line. I'll be con- I'll be checking them. Right back in just a moment. I'll be con- I'll be checking them. Back in just a moment. All right, all right. I'm, let me turn down my my computer here. And um, thank you very much for listening to that. We uh, we I found it just something that I couldn't stop listening to because of the intelligence of Bill. And as Ken Hillier pointed out, he never realized before Bill's mastery of the English language. Um, he has really, really using it well. And uh, he knows what he's, what he's about. Um, and he draws some distinctions in his conversation that I have not heard other people express about this NIL. And of course, if you're just tuning in uh, and don't realize that uh, Bill uh, died two nights ago, but uh, yours truly felt it would be beneficial for all of us as students to listen one more time to his teaching because he's really doing uh, some really excellent teaching here uh, about all sorts of things. I'm particularly interested in this 18 to 22 period in a young person's life that he thinks is so important because out of that comes our leaders. And the choices you make from 18 to 22 about your life really sort of sets you in motion for many, many years to come. I think that's pretty darn fascinating. We're going to break for the real weather right now, as of today. When we come out of that, we'll stay on until the end of the show. If you have a chat line comment, I'm watching right now. We'll be right back with Ward's Weather. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, 
you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Alright, welcome back live now to the uh, Ward Scott Files with yours truly here. I uh, took the liberty today to uh, rerun a, a, a show from December 18 uh, out of our archives of Bill, um, our good friend, uh, Bill Carr, who died a couple of nights ago. And I, I felt like we'd all be better people to hear his voice one more time. And I hope you enjoyed it, learned from it. And, of course, you may look it up on your own. It's a December 18 show of 2023. And uh, many of the things, of course, that um, we're all caught up in as people, uh, well, they do they do go the way of uh, our mortality. Meanwhile, the Ward's weather, 52 degrees, brought to you by Lewis Oil, Chevron Fossil Fuel, and uh, going to get up into almost 70. So we got some mild temperatures right now. We were promised a big rain here yesterday. Oh, my golly. If, if climate change is any more accurately depicted than the weather for yesterday, they don't have a clue what climate change is because the weather was never what they said it was going to be. It was all over the place. And I just have to tell you that, don't you think that the weather is the weather is the weather, whether people are on the earth or not? I mean, come on. We're going to make that big a difference? You cannot be serious, as John McEnroe would say. Let's see what our temperature is right now. It's 9.55. Uh, there was hail, Ken. And it was right down the road from us here at Windy Hill, and it never even rained here. So if you're telling me that the weather is different 10 miles down the road in High Springs than it is here in Alachua, I can understand that. So can't we also take that as a pattern for the worldwide weather? If you've got climate change here, do you have to have it in China, vice versa? Or is this 
one size fits all. What are we talking about here? Um, we know that the groundhog told us it's going to be a mild spring. That's good enough for me. That's probably as accurate as anything uh, the Weather Channel could come up with. Check in my chat line to see if there's anything you want to discuss while we, we fade out here. With about three minutes left on today's live portion right now. I found myself uh, learning all over again things from Bill that I didn't get a chance to learn from in the live show because I was involved in the live show. Isn't that funny how that works? Um, I want to wish his family the best. I want to say I was uh, very, very fortunate to have known him and uh, feel I'm a better person for it. And I hope you feel the same way for having seen his show, having listened to him think you are a better person. Have a great day. We'll have a great guest tomorrow. Warthog Command Center out.